Well, hello and welcome to episode 66 of It's Never Sunny in Seattle, a Seattle Mariners podcast. I'm your host, Evan James, today. It's a Sunday morning. I'm joined by Andrews Jorstad and Michael Ahedo. And uh, we got another trade to talk about. Uh, I wasn't on the last episode, but we talked a little bit about the Mariners acquiring Teoscar Hernandez. But they have gone ahead and traded Kyle Lewis for Cooper Hummel. Before we get into that, and we have a lot of thoughts on that, I promise, I want to plug our Discord channel. We have basically doubled the population of that Discord channel over the last week or so. Um, I'm a little unclear actually exactly where uh, my co-host here posted the channel, but it seems like a lot of you guys found it for one reason or another. Uh, So welcome, everybody. Take a look around. Uh, Feel free to introduce yourself, say hi, ask a question for the podcast. We're going to post when we're doing episodes as we did this morning. So if you have a specific question for us, you want us to answer about the Mariners or just whatever, um, be sure and put it there and uh, we'll get to you. So again, welcome. Excited to have everybody here for the the end of the Twitter world or whatever whatever occasion it is that brought you here. Uh, we're glad. It feels like a little bit of a, a calm from the, the storm on the internet. So uh, yeah, really loving all the new activity. But Cooper, Hummel, I also want to say real quick, sorry, that um, oh, go ahead. if you're not in the Discord already, that we always post a link to the Discord on our episode feed. Um, now that being said, it does expire after 24 hours. So if you, for some reason, you know, want to join and the link is expired, just message one of us three or ping us on Twitter, whatever, we'll send you an invite so that we can get you in here. Uh, Oh, whoa. Okay. I, I okay. I, I checked. It's real. Uh, I don't know how we didn't see this cause it was 31 minutes ago. Discord, very exciting. Uh, apparently, um, <clears throat> so we're going to talk about, you know, guys that the the Mariners have checked in on. Uh, one of those guys is Trey Turner. Whoa. I know it's just checked in on. It really means potentially very little, uh, but that is very exciting. So I'm going to add that to the rundown. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll take a look at that here, but since we've prepared a little bit for uh, for Cooper and Kyle, well, let's let's do that first, because I know you have some thoughts on it, Mikey. Um, what I will say as the resident Kyle Lewis fanboy um, for both here and Lookout Landing is that I'm pretty bummed, and it's it's the worst ending for Kyle, right? He gave everything to this organization. He was uh, a first-round pick, Golden Spikes Award winner, all the talent was there and um, we've had discussions recently in our discord about kind of like what he is now and the prospect versus the player and um, some spirited discussions about the merits of including him in particular on the 23, excuse me, on the roster for 2023. It's a shame. It has to be this way. Um, Yeah, it it just really is. It's a bummer that it worked out this way for Kyle. Uh, but I do think Cooper Hummel is interesting. I actually made the comparison before the podcast to Abe Toro in terms of his numbers. Um, when I'm looking at them, particularly for AAA, AA for the last couple of seasons, obviously the big difference is that he's 28. So he's older than Kyle Lewis. He's not a prospect really in a traditional sense. He's a post-hype guy, if anything. Um, Mikey, what do you think of Cooper Hummel? The first thing that I thought of and and – Part of it is kind of surface level, but when you when you acquire a guy that is coming off of a pretty hot, you know, had a, a relatively uninspiring um, cup of coffee, which is how many games? 66. 
Um, didn't hit very well, didn't field very well. Um, but when you look at his minor league track record, which includes 2022, you know, when you get a 27-year-old from the Diamondbacks that plays in the outfield, um, and you hear the way, especially that that Jerry Depoto gushes about Cooper Hummel, I think of Mitch Haniger. Um, and you look at the minor league track record, and and Hummel didn't strike out very much. He walked a lot. Um, actually, I think uh, you know their their numbers are are kind of similar. Um, he really raked at at Triple A over you know, uh, for, I guess, two seasons, which are about 100 games and and 33 games. Um, Seems like he has nothing to prove in in AAA. Uh, And it's like, I hope not, because he's going to be 28. But also, when you, you like, look at his his actual numbers, um, so I was just curious, because I think a lot of the, a lot of the analytics that we have on guys are, are uh, you know, they're not great. Like the, the numbers that we have access to aren't great. Um, Hummel has shown the ability to, so first of all, you know, he's, he's flexed a, a 111 mile per hour max exit velo. Um, that alone shows that there's some raw power in there. Um, his, Dynamic hard hit percentage in 2022 is literally tied with Mitch Haniger. Um, at like I forget what it was. I'm not even gonna try because I forget what it was. Um, and also like in the vicinity of I know people don't think very much of Darren Ruff, but I, I think he could be. He is kind of a freak. Uh, Josh Bell, um, Christian Walker, uh, a lot of guys that can really hit the fuck out of the ball, and so. I think that there there are some things to be tapped with the bat. Already has an elite throwing arm. I think he averages 91.2 miles per hour out of left field, um, which makes you wonder why was he playing in the left field. Um, plus sprint speed. I don't know that. <clears throat> I don't know in what ways he he taps into that athleticism, but it's there. He can at least run very fast in a straight line. Um, I think right now, in terms of his bat, like what went wrong in 2022, it's that he was a little too passive at the plate and could not hit breaking. Um, and I have a feeling that the, the Mariners are, you know, have something in mind here. So those are those are my initial thoughts. Um, and obviously, you know, interested to, to hear what y'all think. Yeah, it's... <sighs> It's really tough. You know, I think Evan loves Kyle Lewis more than any of us do, but I am not too far behind my adoration for him. And I really wanted him to succeed on this club. He's just such a fun player to watch when he's playing well. I mean, that 2020 team didn't have a whole lot to be excited about, but I turned on every game because he was, you know, killing it. He was great. He was fun to watch in the field. He was fun to watch at the plate, but I understand this move and I think it's a really good move because a, it's unclear if Kyle Lewis will ever be healthy again. Um, And especially, you know, defensively, we don't know if he has the ability to play in the outfield ever again. And we're not even sure that he's 
a good baseball player. I mean, obviously he won rookie of the year, but it was in a very shortened 2020, you know, he's had a small sample size over the course of his career and his small sample sizes are stretched out very thin. So even if you look at his entire career numbers, it's hard to know how much of that is really relevant to what he produces now. So I think if healthy, he would be a useful player, but I don't know for sure if that's the case because we just haven't seen him do it for a long stretch of time. So the Mariners traded him to get a guy who I think is very interesting. I don't know if you guys read Justin Choi's article on fan graphs about him. Um, there's some very, I mean, I know you compared him to Mitch Haniger, but I think the more apt comparison might be the Thai France acquisition. The reason being that Hummel was never a very hyped prospect. He is older, but he's a guy who has hit at every single level. And he also has no defensive position really to call home, much like France did when we acquired him. Um, Hummel is really more of a catcher naturally. And it sounds like that's where the Mariners want him to be, but he has played the outfield as well. So it sounds like the two destinies for him are either backing up Cal Raleigh or potentially playing some in left field. And I would guess, you know, if he was hitting well, they would get him some DH work too. But to me, that screams tie France more. The only difference is that France, you know, the Mariners, when they acquired him, were at a position where they could play France every single day. And I don't think they're in a position where they can play Cooper Hummel every single day to get him the reps that he needs to succeed, you know, at the plate. Now, that that being said, if he was hitting well, I'm sure they would find a spot for him. Um, But back to that Justin Choi article, a couple of things, Mikey, that you kind of mentioned there about him being too passive was definitely one problem that he has, but he does have like an elite chase rate. He does not swing at balls pretty much ever. And you also touch on the fact that he doesn't hit breaking balls very well. He pounded sliders into the ground, also among the highest percentage in the league. So it seems like the biggest problem with him is, is you know, really getting that ground ball rate cut down, especially on breaking pitches. And I feel like the Mariners have shown their chops at taking players like that and, and really helping them break out and get to that next level. You know, they have a long track record now of helping those kinds of hitters, the older prospects. I'm thinking of... Mitch Haniger and Ty France, obviously, but also, you know, um, Nola, you know, Austin Nola, when the Mariners acquired him, he was not really a heralded hitter and he was an older player and they turned him into a very useful hitter. Tom Murphy also, although he's had some injury problems himself. Um, So I kind of trust the Mariners to make the most out of this guy. I've also seen them say that he was like an analytics darling. He was a guy their department was really, really obsessed with, of course, as you mentioned, they said the same thing about Abe Toro. So, <laughs> you know, hopefully it doesn't go that way. I, I feel like there's a good chance, you know, Hummel could make his way into being a very useful player for the Mariners. But it sounds like they want him to be catcher primarily. And if that's the case, I don't know how many opportunities he's really going to get because Raleigh is going to play almost every single day. So I do worry about where those ABs are going to come from for Hummel. I am going to rattle off. Two numbers per trait. First number is going to be present. Second number is future. This is like a you know a scouting thing. Uh, for context, fifty is an average tool. So I want y'all to guess who this player is. Hit thirty-five forty. Game power forty-five fifty. Raw power sixty-sixty. Speed sixty-sixty. Field fifty-fifty. Throws fifty-fifty. Future value, 45. 
It's a Mariners player? Um, yeah. I have a guess. Do you? Taylor Trammell? That was going to be my, my guess. It is not. It is um, someone we have talked about in the past five, ten minutes. Sam Haggerty? No. That's like <laughs> <laughs> Is it Ty France? No. So Hanniger. So it is Hanniger. I think that sounds like Hummel. Like when we're talking about, you know, the skills that, that Hummel, uh, like the game power might be a little higher, but, uh, you know, in general, like that's, that's probably how you describe him. And that's why I'm describing him, you know, in the way that I am. Um, I don't think that they're like, this isn't a comp in the way that I'm like, yeah, they're the same player at all because they have different traits. But um, Hanny also like wasn't, I know that he was, uh, had a little bit of prospect pedigree, um, but he, you know, he had some struggles in the, in the minor leagues. And I think one of the main things that he did was make a swing change that um, I think the year or maybe two years before, Seattle acquired him. Um, so I'm not I'm not worried about the defensive home thing. I mean, I think at worst you throw him in left field, <clears throat> and uh, he is, you know, gets gets some games behind the plate when Tom Murphy and and Cal Raleigh need. Um, and it sounds like he's good enough. Where if if Tom Murphy for you know like the fourth time, poor guy, can't you know, can't make it through the season or, or goes down for a period of time. Like I, I think the Mariners will end up being comfortable enough with him behind the plate. And if not, like it's not like they're without options. So I, I don't want people's expectations to be like, Oh, this guy's Mitch Haniger. Like I can't wait for a, I don't know what you think of Hanny, like a three or four war player or whatever, at least in his prime. Um, that, isn't necessarily the case but you know there are similarities that we can you know kind of pull on so i'm pretty excited about this i i mean if if this is like the last thing that we do i'm gonna become a i don't know diamondbacks fan um but (laughs) yeah but i think overall like this is this is a a sound if not unsexy move yeah, I think the only thing I would push back on the two comparisons you guys made is that, number one, Ty France, like Mikey said, did the swing change and had at least half a season, I'm pretty sure, of evidence that the swing change had taken hold and that he had transformed to some degree as a player. And again, was 25, so he was three years younger. He had no experience in AAA at the time. He was much closer to what you'd call like an actual prospect than Hummel is. And in Mitch Hanniger's case... I watched a little bit of Hummel playing. I watched some of his highlights and he's a very different athlete than Mitch Hanniger. And if I've learned anything from the Mariners prospect cotillion over the last couple of years in the outfield, it's that guys can be like Mitch Hanniger in a lot of ways and not put it together in any form that resembles Mitch Hanniger. Um, I think you can see a little bit of that in Kyle Lewis and Taylor Chamel, who are both much more prospects than Hummel has ever been considered. Um, and I read through that article on fan graphs that Durs pointed to, and it kind of says what I think, which is that 
Hummel's disparity between his minor league numbers and his major league performance is indicative of somebody who's like a quad a guy. And I don't want to put that label on him yet, but there is something to be said for the dude has 200 plate appearances in the major leagues as a 28 year old functionally. Like think about, we've already, we've talked about Jared Kelnick and being so young. Jared has almost a thousand plate appearances as a 23 year old going into his 24 season. Hummel has gotten 200 plate appearances. That's a reflection of not believe the system that he was in in major league baseball, not believing in his skill set. And when I watched the footage of him, the number one comparison in my head was Jake Bowers. And that's different than Mitch Haniger. You know what I mean? Like there's a similar prospect profile in there somewheres, but it, it matriculates to the majors in a different way. And he, I'm optimistic. I actually think he's a really good fit for the Mariners and where they are right now, especially if Murphy goes down and he's in line to get some of the catching duty. Like I think that's probably, that's definitely a better plan than having Terence. No offense, Connor. I know we like, we like Terence quite a bit. I like Terence as a hitter. This is probably a better player than that. The fact that he can play the outfield and also might be Justin Upton slash whoever insurance, also a good thing. So, yeah, I, I see the fit. I like the fit. He's an interesting player. He might be nothing. And uh, as we stated at the top, Kyle Lewis also might be nothing, might not be healthy enough to basically ever play baseball again. So this is a trade of two guys who might be really something maybe, but also are potentially nothing. But it's interesting, right? I think this is really interesting. It's interesting to compare him to Mitch Haniger. It's interesting to watch him and see how he plays. Again, the two comparisons I had in my head were Ben Gamble and uh, Jake Bowers. So they're a little less flattering, but yeah, he's he's cool. And uh, I love that Durs said he, he struggled with the off-speed stuff because it seems like the Mariners have been collecting those guys. Right, the Mariners seem to have a collection of guys who struggle with off-speed stuff, and if they if they think they can fix that, you know, I guess uh, Cooper's going to be good. So if he puts up more than two wins, I would call that a tremendous success. What's your guys' kind of like gauge? Two wins career or two wins annually? Uh, I was going to say this this year. I was going to say okay. I think if he gets regular playing time, he could put up two wins. Right? I mean, sure. I I would bet the under, but. Uh... I think it's certainly feasible. I think, I think pretty much every major league baseball player has at least a ceiling of two wins, right? That's <laughs> like that's Sam, fair. Sam Haggerty just put up two wins. Like Did he put, put up two wins? Two wins. I Sam think was so. really good. Yeah, I, he was very good. I will say just, you know, in this com- like conversation, um, it's important to remember. Well, what has he played coming up? I know he's played some catcher. It looks like. It looks like probably more outfield, but it's important to remember that um, he's a switch hitter and he's played some catcher and both are very notoriously more slow developing than their less slow developing counterparts. Um, We could have two switch hitting catchers. That's quite the little trick. Hopefully they hit. I, hopefully Hummel hits better from the right side, which actually it seems like just based on very, very limited data, like he strikes out less from the right side. So maybe, um, uh, yeah, TBD, but I, it's fucking hard to hit switch. I don't know why hitters do it nowadays, honestly, because not that many can do it well from both sides. Um, so like, yeah, he is 27, but there's that. 
Anything else on Cooper Hummel, boys, or should we talk? Should we touch on the DFAs before we go into the spicy rumors of the day? I am also sad about Collis, but I, I think it makes, I think it make, makes sense for him. I heard that he was, you know, not too happy at the end of last season. Um, I think it's a good change of scenery for for both guys. So, just don't want to come across as heartless. More so, just excited about Cooper Hummel for whatever reason. Well, the Mariners DFA'd a couple guys. Uh, Luke Weaver, Luis Torrens, and Brian O'Keefe. I think I want Mikey to respond to Luke Weaver first because you were really excited about him as a potential uh, even starting pitcher for this team. Do you think there's a potential chance the team brings him back on some kind of other deal now that this is done? What do you think? Yeah, I I, I kind of tend to wonder, <clears throat> you know, if it's uh, procedural or if, you know, the Mariners were counting on him as a hedge to something. Um, I need, I know that that B kind of joked about it in the discord, but I, I think that that is a real possibility is that, um, you know, he, he was always going to be temporary or at least that was the hope. Um, I've always, you know, I've always really liked him as, a um, for, for a handful of years, you know, like I said, three years ago, I wrote that article about him where I was like, I think he found his third pitch. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the concerns about his health, because he hasn't stayed particularly healthy, given that he doesn't have that third pitch as a starting pitcher and he doesn't have anything overwhelming as a reliever. Um, I'm not too broken up about him. I I think more so it's a it's a kind of thing where, um, you know, we 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 grow fond of players and grow attached to players. And like, I think Luke Weaver has always been one of my uh, one of those for me, I suppose. So. I guess, you know, kind of TBD, but. um, Yeah, it, it was a surprise, I think, that we are all maybe not shocked, but it was like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. So it's kind of my initial thoughts. I guess I don't really understand the non-tender process because I thought you had to be arbitration eligible to be non-tendered, but Brian O'Keefe was non-tendered and he just made his MLB debut this last season. So I guess you can technically non-tender anyone, but I don't, I guess I don't understand why you would non-tender a guy who is being paid the MLB minimum, except to get, you know, to clear a roster space. But if you're going to do that, why not wait until you have to DFA him because you signed someone. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm not surprised about Terenz. It sucks, but like he hasn't done anything. They gave him, you know, I was surprised that he passed through the DFA during the season. I thought someone would take interest in him, but he seemed to have a resurgence in Tacoma and then he came back up and was exactly the same hitter. So it kind of sucks. Like I was, I was a big fan of Terenz in 2021 even um i thought that he had a chance to become something interesting you know i think we all thought he he could have become what cal raleigh was you know not that it was likely but you know i think we understood that there was a ceiling there for him to become you know a starting caliber catcher and it just didn't didn't happen um but yeah with regards to weaver my theory is that they claimed him and you know he's been in the organization for a couple of weeks now i wonder if they got him together with some coaches and they put together like a development plan for him 
and they basically presented it to him just to give him a taste of like, here's what we would do for you if you were a Mariner. And then they non-tendered him because they didn't want to pay him arbitration. And so now I wonder if they're going to try to sign him to a minor league deal. Having said, you know, here we presented the plan to you. If you want to follow through on this, you know, look what we did to Paul Seawald. You know, you could still get paid if you, you know, really break out and become the player we think you could be. So I wonder if that, you know, them claiming him, they knew they were going to non-tender him, but this was just them trying to get a head start on on his market, basically. Yeah, there's also, I don't, I don't know for player, like, I don't think that players are like hanging out in Seattle, but I, I do know that sometimes teams will acquire players and want to get a really close look at their data and, and, you know, hear things specifically from the players. So I, I wonder if they just kind of wanted to, you know, to get some of that. Although at this point in the year, I, I, I do kind of doubt it. Um, so that's the thing with Weaver. Terenz, I wrote a pretty glowing article about him in 2020 or 2021, 2021. Um, I think maybe about 2020. Uh, I I mean, super glad that this is happening. I, I think um, the Mariners are good and need roster spots. And he has pretty much proven, at least thus far, to not be particularly good brian o'keefe probably will reassign with the organization um so well and you know any of these guys could you know terence could come back on a minor league deal also i wouldn't be super surprised to see that happen but right they do need catching depth of some some kind i would actually say i think that's the most likely outcome is both of those guys resign in tacoma and that's fine you know that's i like we said in an ideal situation you're you're keeping guys that you like they're interesting like that and moving them down the roster that's what we just did for terenz uh that's a good thing so let's talk rumors a little bit i want to tie in the rumor from this morning about Trey Turner and the Mariners and the shortstops was Zach's question. Zach asked us, what's the primary reason we think the Mariners won't sign one of the top shortstops? I'm going to answer this one because I have talked about this myself and I have to, you know, pick a hill to die on as it were. Um, But he said, is it just because of the team's history of not spending a ton? Are the players not worth it? Do they not want to come to Seattle? Something else. It's a complicated question. There's, there's a lot to answer there. The reason that I have said that I don't think the Mariners are going to sign one of the top guys is because Here's the metaphor I'd use. If I'm going to go out tomorrow and I need to buy a car, there's an amount I'm going to spend on a new car. There's an amount I'm going to spend on a used car. But there's also a ceiling for how much I can afford to spend on a car, period. Right? Those are those are three different things. And whatever I have allocated for a new car might not be enough to get one of the a Jaguar or a Lamborghini or whatever. And in our case... When you look at what the what the new ownership group has done, a lot of the comparisons that I've seen people drawing are from either Zorenzik stuff, which is the Cano deal, which we know doesn't really apply, or two is from the earlier years of the Jerry DePoto era, which is applicable, but I would argue not as applicable as people think because the Mariners changed ownership group, I believe, in 2018. Uh, 2018, 2019, they had a shuffling of the people who are at the very, very top of the organization. Those are the people who are taking money out. They're putting money in, but they're taking revenues out. Ever since that ownership group has taken hold, that was when Nintendo also left, I believe, is it coincides with all of that. Um, they have spent less money on the team every year since those people took over. It has been a steady downturn. It has coincided with COVID. 
which is absolutely a factor and, and weighs in heavy in all of this. There also hasn't, as John pointed out to me in, in, the, in the Slack, there hasn't been quite the same players available other than maybe Bryce Harper. There isn't anyone the Mariners would have spent $350 million on in any case, but I think the Mariners as an entity are spending less money than they used to. That's my opinion. That may not be the opinion of my two co-hosts. That's definitely not the opinion of my co-hosts on the Lookout Landing podcast. My thinking is that they are spending less. And when you see them being the 23rd, 22nd, 24th ranked payroll team, that's a reflection of that. Because they didn't used to be. They used to be kind of in the higher teens. They have slid down that scale. So is it possible the Mariners signed Trey Turner, which is the rumor that we're going to be talking about right now? Absolutely. The exact quote is that the Mariners are looking at the top free agent middle infielders if it makes sense. If it makes sense is a big caveat. I would love them to sign Trey Turner. I think that the Mariners, and I have advocated on two different podcasts, need to add a player who is above three wins as a free agent. They don't, you know, the margins are fine. If we're dealing in the Adam Frazier's, the three wins, the two wins, the one and a half wins of the world, those are marginal players. The Mariners need a splash. And I'm going to ask you guys now, let me kick, let me kick it off to Durs. We've given, we've given Mike a few questions. So Durs, what do you think is the Mariners threshold for signing any player? So let's not, let's not give it an absolute max in terms of a number value, but give me like a correlation between like 25 million, 10 years or 35 million, seven years. There's going to be a range in there that you think the team is likely to spend. What do you think that is? I think we've talked about this before, and if not in here, then I've at least talked about it with some Lookout Landing people. Specifically, I think it's Grant at Lookout Landing who has long said this, that Jerry DePoto hates, quote-unquote, losing deals, right? And which which isn't a good way of looking at things, especially, you know, money-wise, because you have to lose, in quotes, a deal in order to get, you know, value. You know, I don't think that the Padres or the the Phillies think they won the deals when they signed Machado and Harper, but those two players are instrumental to their success. You know, those players cost a crap ton of money and now they are reaping the benefits of it. So sometimes I think you kind of have to grit your teeth and you got to sign the player. Um, you know, the famous quote is if you're rational about every free agent, you will finish fourth in every free agent, <laughs> which it's true. Like you kind of have to overspend if you're going, especially at the top of the market, because someone is going to go wild for a Trey Turner or Carlos Correa. Um, so sure, you can keep going with that middle tier. You know, I think that Robbie Ray was a middle tier free agent last year, and you probably don't have to be, you know, you can probably be a rational team. And you probably don't have to spend that much more than is rational for a player like that. But you do for these top free agents. And I think that having inherited the team that he did, that was so strapped down by big contracts like Cruz and Cano and Felix and Segura, I feel like DePoto is afraid of getting to that point again. And I think that he he likes the idea of having some financial flexibility to work with, especially heading into the season. But to me, I think of it this way, you know, when you play a video game and you get like the cool, unique item that you can only use once per game, you know, for my Pokemon fans out there, that would be like the master ball. Right. And you just hold on to that thing for dear life and you never use it because if you use it, then you can't use it again. I feel like that's Depoto with the financial flexibility. You can hold on to that financial flexibility all day long, but eventually you're going to lose value from not having used it. Um, and that's kind of what I feel like we're going to run into is, you know, if, 
we've gone five, six years with him having quote unquote financial flexibility. But if he had signed someone at the beginning of that to a five or six year deal, the Mariners would have won, you know, more ball games every single year that has led up to this. So that is kind of my long and short of, you know, what I think of the Mariners spending habits and why I don't think they're going to sign at the top of the market is I don't think Jerry DePoto is comfortable, you know, being seen as having overpaid a player. And I don't think he wants to, you know, five, six years down the line, if he signs someone to an eight, nine, 10 year contract, I don't think he wants to be in a situation where he's like, shit, I'm stuck with Trey Turner. And now he's hitting 210 and he's not a good defender anymore. And where do we play him? No one's going to take him from us. And we're paying him $30 million a year. I don't think he wants to be sitting in that position, Um, which is unusual for a GM, by the way, because the lifespan of a GM is famously not that long. And if he signs a player to a 10 year contract, there is a better chance than not that he will not be around to to suffer the consequences of that of the back end of that contract. So it's a very um, unusual circumstance for you know a, a general manager to think like that. But that's kind of where my thought process on the signing comes from. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that he does you know decide now is the time we need our Machado, we need our Harper, and make that big splash. But I'm just not convinced that it's going to happen this offseason i think i'm actually in complete opposition to durs and uh grant um first trade jerry ever made was brad miller logan morrison danny farquhar for nate carnes cj reifenhauser and boog powell um wow some guys (laughs) that is not a trade that you make if you're scared of losing a trade. Uh, another notable trade. Gene Segura, Mitch Haniger, for and Zach Curtis for Cattell Marte, Taiwan Walker. After that, Marco Gonzalez for Tyler O'Neill. That, I think, is especially not a fucking trade that you make if you're scared of losing. And obviously, these are all trades. But... I think I just think when you look at his history of of making deals like you cannot be this active as, you know, someone who's kind of wheeling and dealing especially for the first several years. Um and and you can't knock it burned. That's how you, you know, that's how you acquire what's his name Zach Lee and and the the Dodgers Chris Taylor. We don't yeah, Chris speak Taylor this. for three or four years. Um, And also like the Mariners know that Robbie Ray is not going to be good for five years, you know? So I I think, I think if Jerry could have, and, and believe me, I'm not interested in peddling bullshit for Jerry or for ownership, but I, I, I think it's just a statement of fact that things would have gone differently if he had gotten the green light earlier. I don't know what it would have looked like. I don't know if it would have been good, but I think that is the reality. Um, So, I mean, we've talked about it in the Discord somewhat. Um, Most of last year's shortstop candidates, like, we really wanted a lot of those to happen. Uh, Chris Bryant was really bad and then turned it around and then got hurt. Um, 
Marcus Semien didn't really hit. I think he he turned it on, but didn't really hit towards the end of the year. Um, Corey Seager was very good, but also is getting paid how much for how many years? Um, Three twenty five over ten, I think. Yeah, like wild money, and that man is super injury prone. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but he has spent a lot of time being injured, injured with a lot of injuries. Trevor Story, I mean, has basically J.P. Crawford's put up the same production since 2020 and over, you know, 50 more games. But, um, you know, he's been on the field more. Uh, and Javi Baez is just not good. So, which is, I think, I think there's a, a, a I think there was a rumor about Javi Baez last year that scared the fuck out of me, but I'm not saying that you shouldn't take the L on a player because I think it's pretty clear. Like the Mariners are going to take something of an L on Robbie Ray. The thing about Robbie Ray is you, you add him and then also Logan Gilbert, you know, throws more innings and you call up George Kirby. uh, You call up, I wish we had more time to talk about Bryce Miller. I'll write up an article on that. Um, I think that's kind of the goal with a, a shortstop is by the end, you have someone, you know, who can take over as they transition off the team or to like second base or DH. So that was a really fucking long-winded answer or, or way of saying, yeah, I think the team has been too gun-shy. Maybe DePoto's been too gun-shy. And I think it's been hard to convince players to come to Seattle. I think most of those things have changed in one year, maybe two years, but especially now. So I think more than ever, they can convince people to come. And the whole other conversation is like, JP is at shortstop. So what do y'all think about that? Yeah, I think that's the toughest thing in all of this is... Which of those players is not only willing to come to Seattle, but is willing to not play shortstop? Because that was the whole conversation with Trevor Story last year. And when all that was going down with Trevor Story, this was before the Mariners had, you know, had Julio and signed him to a massive extension. And before they had Luis Castillo and signed him to a massive extension, which I think are two of the biggest selling points in their favor now. Um, But he agreed to go play second base for the Red Sox. Um, So... I'm not sure how many of those infielders are willing to make that change. And I think uh, there was an interesting article on fan graphs. I don't remember who wrote it. So I'm sorry to that author, but about Xander Bogarts and how he's probably going to age into second base pretty soon. I think that's maybe the best fit and also a player who might be willing to do it. Um, I think that would be our best choice if we're looking for a second baseman. I don't think you're going to convince Dansby to switch to second especially after he he just won the gold glove at shortstop I think right or if if not he was a finalist um Correa I think he's going to get too much money to be a second baseman and I think Turner is also going to get too much money to be a second baseman so I think that's why I've been on the, the Bogarts bandwagon for so long I think he might be the only player among that group who would be willing to play second base for what the Mariners are likely willing to pay um but you know if if DePoto saw a deal that he thought was quote unquote reasonable for Turner and Turner's only stipulation was I have to play shortstop, at least for the beginning of my contract. I think the Mariners would tell JP and JP would move to second base, but I worry that 
you know, how valuable is JP Crawford at second base? <laughs> is that, is that like, maybe that is like Colton Wong esque basically in terms of value, but maybe it's a little bit worse. I don't really know. That's what I'm saying. I, I just think that a lot of his value comes from the fact that he plays shortstop. Also, I would have to look. I feel like the last time JP played at second base was with the Phillies. And I'm obviously looking right now. Fucking mechanical keyboard. Um, Yeah, 2017 for 32 innings. And I mean, I don't. I, I'm not even going to rattle off the defensive metrics because it's evil to do so. <laughs> Um, I, I, like I've said, you know, it's a, it's a big leap to assume that a shortstop is going to perform better, you know, at second base. JP is not a good hitter. Um, at least I think, I mean, has put up a 103 WRC plus 2021, 104 and 2022, but like, career 110 iso and it's only gotten worse uh, i don't know like post posted 3.3 war last year and two in 2022 um projected for three this year i didn't realize he was that valuable last year for us i, I think he spent a, a good chunk of the year after his hot his obp was higher than his slugging last year so i keep interchangeably using last year as like 2021 and 2022 um in 2022 so i really don't know it sounds like it depends on whether or not they will ask jp to move to second or ask well i guess that's that's the only let's <laughs> see it doesn't really matter if he's going to say it shortstop um so yeah ask jp to move to second or or ask the free agent to move to second. Trey Turner's already played at second a fair amount. Um, has been open about not being as comfortable at second base, but has played good second base. Uh, Bogarts, I wonder if he is like how he's going to age with his bat too, because he is a he's like Semyon, like he pulls a lot of fly balls and, and line drives. Um, so there are more considerations to be like I'm not confident in Bogarts, um, but sometimes you just you do just have to fuck around and find out. So, Asriel asked us a question, which is Jerry's response to this whole Trey Turner shortstop market thing was if it if it makes sense when he says what does that entail. I think the short answer to that is if the Mariners are in the ballpark of paying them whatever they're going to get on the market, right? So if Trey Turner's getting offers and the Mariners are offering him 270 and his highest offer is 275 somewhere instead of 290 or 300, they're they're in the running for it. That's where it makes sense to to negotiate. They may not be in that ballpark with all of these guys. I should say they will not be in that ballpark with all of these guys. Um the one interesting scenario to me is if these guys, one or two of them, sign a higher value, higher annual value deal at a shorter length. Like if maybe Trey Turner wanted forty million over five years or something like that, where the Mariners could short term condense a lot of contract because they're in a position where they could front load some stuff and 
it might not be the worst thing. And you could, you saw Carlos Correa do this last year. He signed a one year, $35 million deal. Essentially. I think he's going to get a seven year contract this off season, but you know, like we don't know. We don't know. Everybody's still unsigned. That's the fun of doing a hot stove podcast is that the opportunities are out there. And if Turner's market meshes with the Mariners market, I do think he is, he's probably the most ideal fit because like we've said, he's played second, could play second, could match up with Perry Hill and, and play second base, leave JP where he has his most value. But I think there's two ways to phrase this question. One is, um, are the free agents a good fit for the Mariners? And the answer is no. And two, is JP a good fit for where the Mariners want to go? And I would also say no. And that's interesting, right? Because he is he's a centerpiece of this team and, and where they're at right now. But I do think that they might switch that if they could change it. If they could get one of these guys, they might rearrange that core. Um, any notes on or any thoughts from you guys on Colton Wong or Glaber Torres? I know that we're all a little probably agnostic to Colton Wong just because he's very similar to the archetype they already ran out there last year and Adam Frazier. He's a better defender than Frazier, but Frazier made up for that a little bit with his utility value. He played center field for the Mariners when Julio was out. Um, yeah. What do you guys think of those two? I'll let Mikey go first. Cause I know he has better things to say about Wong and he's more interested in Glaber, I think than I am. Wong. So considerations, 32 years old. Um, Durs is is dead set on on comparing him to Adam Frazier, which I think is a bad comp. <laughs> um, I think the difference between the two is Adam Frazier has no power, like can almost just doesn't have the ability to barrel a ball. Um, Wong can, he doesn't really, but um, you know, I think... If I remember correctly, there have been some some issues staying healthy there too. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, I think so. A little bit. Um, I like the player. I, I think when you're talking about fit, it's like I don't know. In the past, like uh, two years, Wong has been like as valuable as like DJ LeMahieu and Ozzy Albies, albeit like in 30 more games than Albies, but um, more than Adam Frazier, you know, like more than a, a lot of decent players. So like there's that. I think, I think he is an above average second baseman, which I think you should take most of the time. Um, yeah. Caveats are that he's 32. Um, and that he probably just had the best hitting season of his life, which like you wouldn't, you wouldn't think is a negative, but if that's what your expectation is, then you're probably going to be disappointed. Although this is also the best two year run of his life. Well, and MLB, um, defensive metrics were shaky last year. They're kind of noisy. So I, I wonder if it is age or noise. That's most of what I have to say about Colton Wong. Glaber Torres, I think is also unsexy to people because, well, he's been a really awful shortstop, but since moving to second base, um, has played better defense but his his offense 
took a bit of a a hit when you look at expected numbers, but not as much Woba. Um, also hasn't been the hitter that he was in the 2018 and 2019 seasons for a while. Um, for Glaber, he he's like an all-fields fly ball guy, which is not a great fit in T-Mobile. So if you think if you think that he might be able to pull the ball more, if you can kind of tap into that, um, like then he can probably be really good in T-Mobile. But I just in eyeballing it, it seems like he had more opposite field home runs than to left field. Um, both of them you do have to acquire via trade, and it's Torres is probably going to be the the guy that will will get you more. I think. I think the most obvious kind of package is like. Um, Diego Castillo and, and Jesse Winker for Torres. Do they take that? I don't fucking know. But like in terms of like, here's my video game OOTP, you know, package that the Yankees will take in the game. Like that's what that is. And and like I've said off the air and in the discord, I think smart teams like Diego Castillo. I don't love Diego Castillo, but teams seem to like him. And, and like I wrote about in the Swanee article, service trusted him more than Swanee. So he was the third most, at least, you know, pitch leverage index wise. Um, those are my thoughts on those two players. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think to the, to the long point, he's not going to cost you very much, right? He's a, he's going to be on a one year deal. So he's a, he's a one year rental for an average big league player. So, you know, the Mariners, when they got Frazier sent a not really prospect and a bullpen prospect for him. I don't think that Wong would cost a whole lot more than that. My question would be why the Brewers would do it if they're trying to compete this year. I mean, maybe they're not, maybe they're going to do a soft rebuild because they didn't make the playoffs last season. So that's entirely possible. And people are talking about if they blow it up, they could trade like Corbin Burns or something. I think that, you know, if they are going to blow it up, Wong is definitely on the table, but I don't know how much, you know, like I said, I don't think the Mariners will have to pay a whole lot to get him. Torres is interesting. I wasn't interested at first because I think I said on the last podcast that they wouldn't settle for anything less than Logan Gilbert, nor should they. But I, you know, the article or the quote rather, let's see if I can pull it up. Uh, regarding Torres was Joel Sherman of the New York Post said, quote, the Mariners have interest in Torres and have bullpen arms that should interest the Yankees even after using Eric Swanson to land another mid-right, uh, mid-order righty bat from Toronto and Teoscar Hernandez. So if it's bullpen pieces they want, then I'm more than okay with that. But I think it's going to be another painful one. It would be, if not a Matt Brash, then like a Paul Seawald. Um, that wouldn't be fun for any of us either because we talked about in our postseason pods that even though the Mariners have a lot of bullpen pitchers, they don't have a whole lot that they showed trust in. And those are two guys that they showed they trust. So if the Mariners have to give up like a Brash or a Seawald or whatever for Torres, then it starts to change the bullpen calculus a little bit where now all of a sudden you may have to go hunt for someone 
to fill a spot of bullpen pitcher that you trust. So, you know, whatever the Mariners have to give up for Torres, it's not going to be fun. You know, it's going to be something that hurts. I don't think it's going to be as easy as ship away Kelnick and Winker and call it a call it a deal. You know, <laughs> although that would be the funniest deal because Mets fans hate Jesse Winker and they would have to then play against him crosstown rivalry and it would piss off Mets fans to no end if Kalnick became good as a Yankee <laughs> so <laughs> if you want to piss off Mets fans then send them Winker and Kalnick for, for Torres um but you know I don't I don't trust the baseball trade values um valuation of Torres I think they have him they have him as less valuable than Kelnick, than Dylan Moore, than Penn Murphy. I don't think any of that is true. I, I, you know, the Mariners are by, by the trade value simulator going to have to overpay based on that for, for Torres. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, more painful than that. Um, But in general, my philosophy on second base is this. If you have a hole at a position, the best thing you can do is acquire a star player at that position. And you might say, well, obviously you should acquire a star player everywhere, but that is where you're getting optimal value is if you replace a hole with a star player, that is the easiest way to get like three, four, five extra wins because you're going from zero to four instead of from two to four. Um, so the Mariners are better positioned than anybody to really make an impact at second base. And I'm not convinced that getting Wong is that, and I'm not sure if getting Torres is that, I mean, there's a there's a possibility that he has another level and maybe he could become a four win player. So I would be more interested in that aspect of things. But that's why I think a big signing would be, you know, the most intriguing thing for them to do. All right. Well, wrapping up today, our last question is from B, and they're asking of the current Mariners roster, who's most likely to get DH time? I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say one, I think we just acquired a guy who might be a shoe in for some of that time, which is Cooper Hummel, right? Like realistically the way the roster shakes out, if they really like his bat or whatever, and they're all about it in spring training, I think that's a spot he could definitely play. I think the other answer is that whoever gets the most DH time is probably not currently on the Mariners, right? When I'm looking at this roster, Carlos Santana is a free agent. They just traded Kyle Lewis, who was one of those options. Jesse Winker, might be dead if he even if he even is on the team by the time spring rolls around. Uh, they want Ty France at first base if they can afford it. They want a Eugenio at third base if he's able to play there. They don't have an obvious candidate for that to my eyes, and I think that that is good because we talked about even in the last episode, uh, you know, like Jose Abreu bringing somebody in to be that Carlos Santana replacement. And again, I cannot stress enough. If the Mariners do spend a little bit on a DH, it is okay. Think about how critical Carlos Santana was. The magnitude of the at-bats he got in both the postseason and in September. We we could use somebody there. Like, we really could. We could definitely 100% afford to not be batting Carlos Santana with a pulled hamstring in the playoffs. It could, it, we just, we could do it. We could do something other than that. So, um, what do you guys think? I think my answer is those two. Cooper Hummel slash acquisition. Yeah, Hummel is a definite possibility. And, you know, my answer will remain Jesse Winker until they deal him. I think I remain in the camp that, you know, as you all know, I remain in the camp that they're going to keep him much more than either of you two, especially more than Mikey. But I also think 
your point about it could be someone who's not within the Mariners organization right now. You're right. It's going to be Mitch Haniger, <laughs> who technically is not within the Mariners organization right now. Um, those would be my two options. I think my two top options would be Winker and or Haniger if they re-sign him. And then if they don't, then Hummel. But, you know, we, we're getting a lot of questions about like, you know, they're talking in the discord right now about Evan Longoria. We've, you know, heard questions about Abreu. I really do not see this organization acquiring a DH type player in the off season. I think if they're going to acquire a DH, it's going to be in the summer like they did with Santana, because those players are pretty easy to acquire in the moment and it's the easiest position to fill. So if you, you know, like the Mariners were having trouble with offense in general, you can, you know, get Santana pretty cheaply. And I think that the Mariners will find a player of that caliber that they could get next summer if they aren't able to fill it with, any of the people that we've mentioned at this point. I, I don't think they want to plug that hole with like a commitment in terms of a Brayu or, you know, Longoria. Well, no one wants to plug holes with commitment. Oh boy. I, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, um, I do not think it's Hummel. I think that would probably be a mistake given that he didn't hit like, 35% below league average last year. Um, I mean, yeah, we just had Santana DH for us and he hit league average. Um, yeah, you know, I I also tend to think it's someone not on the team. Um, I, I do think Winker is gone. I mean, when you... I, I, I am surprised that, that people aren't kind of on the same boat. Like when, when you consider that he wasn't particularly great last year and you also take into account that, like, it sounds like the clubhouse really turned on him. The Mariners who seem like one of the biggest teams on, or organizations really on like team culture who have a history of trading players who have had issues in the clubhouse. I'm surprised that we aren't more in consensus here. Um, so I, I think, I think Winker's gone. I think Haniger seems like a pretty, seems like a shoe in to be able to not, I mean, Aaron is talking about like clogging the DH spot. Uh, Haniger is someone who can probably mostly DH and also fill in and, in right field so are you changing your outlook because previously you said that neither Haniger nor winker would be on the team in 2023 have you changed your mind on Haniger? well i was i was always softer on on Haniger. um i mean i've i've heard not great things about their relations but part of that has softened within me because um both the mariners and Haniger have spoken pretty you know kindly of the other i think he's sorting out his free agent situation. And like we've talked about, like we've heard Divish talk about, I think, I think he, he, we have a lot of players like this. Like I think Marco, I think Haniger, like I think that these players have historically been more valuable to the Mariners than other teams. I think that's true of Haniger. Um, I think we already know how he fits here. I think that he is a good clubhouse guy. Um, so I don't think it's a shoe in but I think it makes sense to have 
him in the DH spot, play some outfield, keep himself healthy, and add. You know, I I, I think like Depoto said, one to two outfielders. It seems clear he's going to add a second. I I don't know what he considers Hanny, but I would hope that that is more of a DH and you add a third outfielder. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think if you if Hanny comes back, he's a starting right fielder. Um. So, I don't know, I guess is my answer. <laughs> like, I kind of think it's, 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 it's kind of a rando, but I think Hanniger is just the, makes the most sense. Um, I don't know, Luke Voigt just got non-tendered. Bring that, that big boy. Oh, jeez. It's happening. We don't, we don't All need right. to do that. Ryan Anderson. Yeah, we don't need to, <laughs> we don't need to do do Luke Voigt. I would say the one thing that has changed, Mikey and I um, have heard the same information about kind of Mitch and the Mariners being at odds with each other once upon a time. What has changed since then is Mitch was injured again, right? Like a big, some of the particular details for the acrimony was them looking to extend Mitch with the team and them not having common ground over how much or how long or what that was going to be. Since that time, Mitch has been bad and hurt. So whatever discussion there was about whatever value, it's kind of the same way with Jared. Whatever bad blood was there is irrelevant now because he's not worth any money. You know what I mean? Like that takes some of the air out of the discussion. Um, Mitch is an interesting option there. Yeah, I think it remains to be seen. And that's okay. Um, there's the point about picking up a DH at the deadline is interesting. I don't know if that's, I think that's the best plan, but it is a good way to get good value at better prices than we might pay for Jose Abreu. Um, and the Mariners like those marginal guys anyway. So I think we should wrap it there for today. Um, <laughs> I said a couple of pods ago that we might be going into a slower cadence, but Jerry doesn't care what I think. So we're going to, we'll be back as much as we can reacting to actual trades, real news. The team is in more of a, a, a quick movement to assemble the roster than I expected. And I think probably some of that is a reaction to last year being such a weird off season players wanting to get their home settled as soon as possible this year. So we'll be talking about it. Super stoked again to have doubled the population of the discord. Love all the new people here. Love seeing everybody love seeing the discussions. Um, definitely check out the Patreon. If you can patreon.com slash never sunny in Seattle. Um, I'm Evan. You can find me on Twitter at Evan James audio for as long as Twitter is still a thing. Uh, you can find Anders at Anders Jorstad and Mikey at underscore Kuya Mikey. Find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, wherever it is you stream. Again, Discord, uh, Patreon, go Mariners. And welcome our new patron, John, as well as our existing patrons, Ken, 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 Patrick Sexton, Aaron Parker, Brenry Everfoley, Drew Stern, David Finko.